Are the actors here? Kevin Lindley. Where are y'all? Stand up for a second, the whole fam. Kevin was our second college minister. He's got three kids, two are Aggies that attend here, one's coming to go here. You let them know you're glad they're here. You know, now Kevin's the new pastor at First Baptist Georgetown. If you really love Jesus, you'd be right here on the front row. I mean. Uh, Kevin's part of a group my wife and I meet with once a year. All the kids that have come through Central that are senior pastors. My wife and I, and church pays for that. My wife and I host them on a Thursday night through a Sunday morning. Kev and Lindley are two of the leaders in that group. There are a number of couples, you know, the guys meet with each other, the girls meet with each other. We never know what the girls are talking about. All we know is if they're crying, it's obviously a really good meeting. That's all we know. That's how we gauge the depth of the quality of their meetings. But we talk about all the different things that we face as pastors, and this year was an interesting discussion around a question one of our guys raised. He said, he said, I, I had an interesting thing happen. He said, I've I've been walking through a certain book, and we've had a couple of times where I presented the gospel very clearly, and several said, you know, really well, it was powerful, what you said about Jesus and his blood, laid it out, and he said, I had several people say, wow, what a great job, but we don't understand why. Nobody walked the aisle. And he said, it was really struggling for me as a pastor, because what it seemed like they were saying is, Man, you do a great job, but you're really not effective. You really don't impact those that you're speaking to. I mean, you, you're clear about the gospel. You do a great job walking through the scripture. But it's not really, obviously, impacting people. And so he's wrestling with this, going, where, obviously, am I failing in my preaching? Now... That's exactly, if you remember, where we are in 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 4 today. And remember, that's what Paul's wrestling with. These guys have come in behind him, and they're looking at the church and saying, come on, man, he doesn't even win any Jews to Christ. He has no impact. There is no reason to listen to this guy. And I'm going to tell you something. If you become a person who shares the gospel, you're going to come to this point. Now, it's not so much if you're out... In a restaurant, you leave a track there. They say no to Jesus, okay. But when it's somebody you love and you really care about and you poured your life out and you've done everything you can to win them to Christ, you can find yourself pretty devastated when they say no to what is to you. A real simple proposition. I mean, I still to this day don't understand. I understand sin. I understand struggle. I understand rebellion. What I do not understand is how anybody can say no to the offer of freedom and forgiveness that God gives me in His Son, Jesus Christ. I don't understand how anybody can say no to that. And so when you really pour your heart into somebody, you struggle. Now, Paul addresses that very thing, particularly for those of you here your spouse is not a believer. You struggle with that. You've poured your life in. Listen to what he says. Chapter 4, verse 1. Because of this, having this ministry that God's given us mercy in, 
we do not lose heart. He says, look, I know that when I preach, the Jews don't respond. But he said, I'm telling you, I'm not losing heart. Why? Because I tether my heart to God's call and to Him, not to the response of people to the truth. Now, that's imperative. And I'm going to tell you something. You will struggle. If you're Lois and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother, Lois, we don't see her husband anywhere, the grandmother, she's got, but Paul writes about the tremendous faith in their lives. She's married a guy, obviously he never is involved in her Christian walk. She has a daughter out of that marriage, Eunice. She somehow gets involved with a guy that has no care about Jesus Christ, and now she's alone in her walk. What do you think it was like when the day came that they had birth, and they looked at her and said, you got a little boy. And here the grandfather doesn't care about Jesus. The father doesn't care about Jesus. It's got to be in the back of your head because all of you that have children, you understand the instantaneous love you have for that child. And now you're looking at this male child in the back of your mind. You've got to be thinking, you know, we didn't reach granddad. We didn't reach dad. How in the world are we going to reach their son? Didn't lose heart. Exactly like Paul. They both must have tied their faith to the proclamation of the gospel, not to the response. And somehow it really did work because Timothy winds up pastoring the church in the city where Paul fights wild beasts in Ephesus. He becomes this tremendous proclaimer of the gospel because these two women did not lose heart even though the men they loved more than anybody else refused everything they said about Jesus. You've got to understand something. The vast majority of the world, according to Jesus in Matthew 7, is never coming to Christ. So you have to accept the fact that you better not tether your heart to the ability and the response of people. You tether your heart to the proclamation and to the God who gives you the word to proclaim. Now, here's the second thing he says. I love this. We have rejected the hidden things of shame. We're not walking in cunning, nor falsifying the word of God, but in full disclosure of the truth, we present ourselves toward every man with a clear conscience before God. Now listen. Here's the second thing he says. There's a tendency when people don't respond to start getting cute and clever. He says we're not going to do that. We're going to be absolutely clear. We're not going to use trickery, and we're not going to falsify the word of God. See it all the time. Here's what I hear all the time. Bible says, and it does. Here's a exact quote, Psalm 37, 4. It says, He, God, will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that is what the Word of God says. So there are guys all over the place that take that. They don't have a lot of response. And so they decide, you know, I know one way to get some response. They bring people in and they say, listen, you hear that verse? God wants to give you all your dreams. Whatever you're dreaming today, listen, God wants to do that for you. He wants to take care of your dream. He wants to honor that dream. He wants to make it real in your life. He wants to make it powerful. Just trust Him. Have faith. God will give you all your dreams. You just dream whatever you want. Let me tell you, if that works, my dear lease would be bigger. 
I'd have more guns. And I'd be a member at Augusta National in Georgia. Now, that's just the way it would work. But it doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, the problem you face is most of the time, he's going to go against what dreams you do have for your life. He looked at Peter right before he went back to heaven. And what did he say to him? Now, my father-in-law, we got the call when we were six months into our marriage and my father-in-law died, and he had died in his sleep, just went to sleep. I mean, for most of us, that's got to be the way we want to die. That's a great way to go. You just go to sleep, you're with your family, you wake up with Jesus. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Everybody wants that. Peter surely wanted that. Jesus looks at him and says, oh, by the way, Peter, when you come to the point where you die, there are some men that are going to carry you where you don't want to go. And you're going to have to go with them. And the scripture says, signifying the death by which he would die. So what he basically said to Peter is, I don't care what your dreams are. I have a different dream than your dreams, and you're going to live out my dream for you, not your dream for yourself. And yet we have people all over the place falsifying the word of God, using all this trickery. You say, well, what about the scripture that says, I'll give you the desires of your heart? There's a little phrase right before it. Anybody know what it says? Delight yourself in the Lord. Absolutely. You delight yourself in Jesus Christ. He changes the desires of your heart, and he'll give you those. Did he change Peter's heart? According to legend, when they came to get him, to crucify him, Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. Peter's not a Roman citizen, so they crucify him. And the legend is, with great respect, says... He wanted to be crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to die the way my Lord died. Did God change his heartbeat? Absolutely. So yeah, he gives you the desires of your heart if you delight yourself in the Lord. So we're not going to use any con. We're not going to use any tricker. And we've never done this in this church and we're never going to. We're not going to play the game at the invitation where you close your eyes and nobody comes and I say, I feel led that someone should come. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to hold your hands up and then have you come down. We're not going to do any trickery. Matter of fact, the problem with my invitations, I've had more than one person come up to me and say, you know, we started down and you quit. But I'd rather we be fast because I think if God hasn't spoken by the time we've gotten there, he's not speaking to you today. So we're not going to con job. That's not what we're going to do. That's what he says not to do. And that includes anybody in your family. You don't offer promises God doesn't offer. Then he says this. Look in verse 3. He says, you say, well, why don't they come? Why don't they respond? Look at this. Since our gospel is veiled, it is veiled among those who are perishing, in whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, might not shine in their heart. He says, I'll tell you why people don't come. It's because they are blinded by Satan. Now, listen carefully to what he just said. Remember the passage last week? What did he say? Last two weeks, what did we look at? We are veiled. We don't see ourselves as sinners. We don't see Jesus as a Savior. But the Holy Spirit comes, He lifts the veil. Not for long. 
Because the Bible says when you ignore it, the enemy comes, takes away what's on his heart. So the Holy Spirit lifts the veil. I see Jesus, and now I have two options. I can respond to what I see, and he can come into me, save me, clean me up, indwell me, put me into the ministry, transform me, and begin to go to work in my life. Or, and that's what Peter did when he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or I can be like Judas and say, I don't want this. At which point, even after I sin, I don't think he can forgive me because I've lost my sight. The veil was restored. Now listen. Listen to me. Actually, forget me. Listen to Scripture. He says two things. He says the Holy Spirit lifts the veil. That Satan has placed in people's hearts. So... If you can't win someone to Christ, you can't win your husband, it's not your fault. It's not that you failed. It's not that you've not done something right. It is that he is in a spiritual domain your stuff doesn't touch. Now, I understand everybody's got questions, and I understand we've got all these great apologetic books out there. We've got C.S. Lewis, we've got Francis Schaeffer, we've got Bernard Ram, we've got Ravi Zacharias, we've got... Josh McDowell, we've got Lee Strobel. We've got a ton of great apologetic stuff out there, and that's great. But I'm going to tell you something. The reason men don't come to Christ isn't because they don't have the intellectual understanding. It's because they're blinded in their heart by an enemy that only God's Holy Spirit can lift the veil from. So you are not going to be able to argue people into the kingdom. You can't intellectually talk them into Jesus. You can answer every question there is. You can be the smartest person in this room. You can answer every scientific argument. You can do everything you want. But that is not going to win anybody to Jesus. It is a spiritual issue in their heart. Only the Holy Spirit of God can open up that veil so they see who Jesus is. Because the God of this age has blinded them so they do not see him. I don't care. And listen. For you wives here, your husband's not here, you've been trying to win him for years, he said no to you. Let me be real clear. It isn't because of you. You are not the failure. Now, the enemy will beat you up. The enemy will say to you, well, you must not be doing something right. Listen, you are not the problem according to this scripture. He has a spiritual issue that the God of this world has blinded him and not you, but the Holy Spirit of God comes and lifts that veil. You are not the problem. It is inside his soul, not your external failures. I've known wives that have looked at me in the office and said, well, I just don't love him enough. (sighs) Do not let the enemy beat you up anymore. You are not the one that has blinded his heart the God of this age has, and only the Holy Spirit of God can lift that veil. You say, well, what do I do? Look in verse 5. <clears throat> we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves as your servants because of Jesus. So what do I do? Here's the first thing you do. You do not worry about who you are or who you're not. And when I grew up, guy led me to Christ, Billy Graham, I, I, I just meant tremendous ministry but I'm just telling you what I saw when I grew up watched all his crusades tremendous preacher 
great singing, all that stuff. But in every crusade, he always had one person, different types of people, share their testimony. Now, it was always either somebody who had had a really rotten life. I mean, they'd been drug addicted, you know, just messing around, all sorts of bad stuff, and now they're gloriously saved. Now they're in love with Jesus. they got a great home. I mean, all these great, pivotal, boy, came out of the darkness stories. Or some quarterback for LSU. Who, and everybody at LSU needs, needs that. But it was some sharp businessman. It was the valedictorian of, of some school. It was always somebody that I realized one day that I could never be. Couldn't be the valedictorian. I couldn't be a sharp businessman. Wasn't going to quarterback a Division I football team. And my testimony, I didn't really do that much bad stuff. I vandalized. I was a virgin when I married. I didn't drink. I didn't sleep around. I didn't do drugs. So I didn't have the kind of testimony that anybody would look at and go, wow. What a proof of Jesus. So when I began to look at my life after watching enough of those crusades, I looked at myself and thought, you know, God can never use me because I don't fit any of those categories. He says here, you don't proclaim yourself. It isn't about you. I don't care who you are in this room. I don't care if you're not good looking. I don't care if you're not smart. I don't care if you're not sharp. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care what kind of money you have. Listen. There isn't a single thing in and of you that God requires except your mouth breathes out. He says, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's all that's required. It's not on us. It's on the Holy Spirit. Our only job, we don't present ourselves. We bring Jesus as Lord. We are clear. Without apology. You don't go to heaven because you're a Baptist or a Church of Christ or a Lutheran or a Protestant or a Catholic. You go to heaven because you have had a personal encounter with a resurrected Jesus Christ whose blood washed away your sin and the Holy Spirit lifted the veil and you saw it and you put your faith in it and now he's come to reside in your life because his blood has cleaned you up. That is the message you take to this world. It is not you it is Jesus. And that is what he says. And then he says, <clears throat> we're your servants. The next thing you do, you serve those that you're preaching Jesus to. We've said it a hundred times in here. <clears throat> You've got a couple next door, they may be lesbians. And you're ministering to them, you're sharing Christ with them without being condemnatory. They go to the hospital, what do you do? You serve them. You bring them meals, you mow their yard, you pick up their mail. <clears throat> you serve the people you share Jesus Christ with. When you do that, look at what he says. <clears throat> it's God who said, let light come out of darkness, who has shined in our hearts so that the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is lit. Now listen. When I don't lose heart, when I don't con people, but I bring out the truth, when I understand it's a spiritual game and so I rely on the Holy Spirit, not on me, 
I don't worry about who I am or who I'm not. I speak the truth, clarity about Jesus Christ as being Lord. When I do that, here's what happens. You and I become lights. I know. It's a tired metaphor. I get that. But let me tell you one thing. When I deer hunt, I'm the earliest guy out to the stand because I like to get there 30 minutes before the sun comes up. Now, sometimes when you go to the deer stand that early, you don't even need a flashlight. And you turn the flashlight on, you can still see the light, but you don't really need it. The moon's up. You can walk straight to your stand without any. There are other nights when it's cloudy, there's no moon, it's pitch black. You don't have that light. You can't see. But here's the interesting distinction for me. The light's visibility never changes. The power of the light never changes. I'm sorry. Its visibility does change depending on whether or not there's other light there. The darker it gets, the better the light shows up. Now, I know we're all freaking out over where our country is today. I get that. We've got an argument by the federal government in what's called fluidity of transgender ideas, which is the idea that if a little boy thinks he's a girl at 9 a.m., he can go in the bathroom, girl's bathroom. If he thinks he's a boy at 12 a.m., he can go in the boy's bathroom. That's how insane we are. I get that. I get the fact that we're still killing babies on demand. I get the fact that now a 62-year-old man can marry an 18-year-old boy and it's legal. I get that. I get the fact that we've got the two worst people ever in the history of creation running for office in America. I get that. I understand all that. And I know there are times when I sit down and go, but if we are God's light, in this world, then the darker, the better for how we shine. And at the end of the day, it's not about our happiness or how neat America is. It's about how well we shine among people who do not know Jesus but could. Let's pray. Father, For those in this room that have shared Christ and they're just exhausted, they've not seen fruit and the enemy's beating them up, let them know not to lose heart and that you run this deal. Father, make us in this room lights that are so bright that the people in Nebraska's Valley cannot fail to see who we are in Jesus Christ. Thank you for transforming us and giving that possibility to us honor that in who we are in Christ. I ask you those things in Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. You've never met Jesus. Holy Spirit's unveiled you today. You realize, you know, I am bad. Jesus is not. I need what he offers. Then we're going to give you a chance. We, you come down here. We will pray with you. We will share with you how to find Jesus Christ. If you found him and God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship, as he speaks to your heart this morning, you come.